Welcome to today's episode for people interested in the extraordinary, yet ancient and often long forgotten stuff. This is your host, Joseph Schinwald from ownbythebeach.com. Our guest today is Ryan Souther. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Joseph. Thank you for having me. Well, nice to have you on the show. I'm honored. This will be a, a really interesting interview. Uh, you have such a rich life and uh, so much to learn from you. The topic today is from traumatic events to inner peace and wisdom. Let's go into your biography, Ryan. He has written a book of poetry and a couple of books of haiku, which is a type of short form poetry originally from Japan. He had numerous art exhibitions in the Northwest. Humboldt County, California has been his place of residency. He has a 10-year-old son with the name of Mali. Ryan is a certified shamanic life coach and art therapist. And he goes by Lama Su on various online platforms. On some of them, he is uh, an administrator. Today's topic, as we said, is from traumatic events to inner peace and wisdom. And like many of us, you began your hero's journey of self-knowledge, searching for an answer outside of yourself. You had a trauma in your youth, which took some 10 years of self-healing. Tell me, Ryan, what was your life like before you turned to wisdom tradition? With that, I mean all traditions of all religions, the whole world. It was a bit monotonous, a bit, uh, felt like a puppet, kind of, you know, kind of uh, controlled by the world. Um, you know, I was... Uh, patient basically um i saw many th therapists and counselors and i was on heavy medication um basically just drowned drowned me i was swallowed up in a diagnosis and uh thought basically my life was was told to me, you know, kind of created for me. And yeah, it was, I was in a very lost place. And one time you even overdosed. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, was sleep deprived for, um, I don't even know how long <laughs> I, I didn't have sleep, but, uh, it, I was in a bad place for sure. I, uh, <clears throat> that was in your twenties. Yes. And yeah. you had like, you know, I read your, your, uh, your bio. It was, uh, you were like engaged in conspiracy theories. And I mean, your search in the beginning started with what is good and evil. And, you know, all these things we ask ourselves in our journey, but then you also, uh, became, quite engaged in this kind of uh, very polarized topics of the world. And uh, finally, after your overdoses, uh, you know, you needed medical treatment and then you self-healed for 10 years. Uh, how did you sure. self-heal? Oh, boy. Um, a lot of focus and mindfulness, I'd say. Um, I got myself off medication. I was reevaluated plenty of times and they told me I was basically cured of the diagnosis they gave and uh, that kind of 
brought back a knowledge of self to me to, you know, that I'm the creator of my own reality. And um, <clears throat> I knew there was something more to my experience. Yes, and, yes, uh, it's 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 happens to many this kind of uh, suffering before. Uh, it's on the hero's journey, like Joseph Campbell uh, wrote. And um, so then, interestingly enough, you became, you started an apprenticeship in the temple of the Jedi Order in your early 30s. And tell me a little bit more about Jediism is a philosophy mainly based on the depiction of the Jedi characters in Star Wars media. Well, um, <clears throat> I'm still learning, that's for sure. I've had uh, a couple teaching masters. It's all uh, virtual online. I'm still going through it. I'm I kind of move slow like a turtle, <laughs> but uh, it's a ever evolving practice, and uh, it's not an end point. You know, it definitely has opened my eyes up to uh, Joseph Campbell, and uh, brought me back to Alan Watts and Carl Jung and Lao Tzu. It's a really a belief in something metaphysical beyond space and time. You know, it's a belief in the force. And uh, yeah, yes. when I looked into Joseph Campbell um, and what George Lucas got from him, right. it really opened my eyes. It's modern mythology. And I think uh, it's highly influenced by Joseph Campbell. And that interview. He did the interview with Bill Moyer, I think. It was Bill Moyer, exactly, yeah. Exactly. And that was in the mansion of George Lucas. So right. uh, now we are coming to the interesting topic for me. So you turn to additional because you're still practicing Jediism. It's very highly influenced of Zen Buddhism, actually, the way I see it, you know, the way he deals with the sword and all this master-disciple relationship, right? Yeah. It's, it's almost like Zen Buddhism. Anyway, you... Uh, became very interested in Buddhism, Alan Watts, Joseph Campbell, and Carl Jung. And they were your major influences. They are your, still your major influences. We know each other from a group about Alan Watts, an online internet uh, Facebook group. And uh, that's how we got to know each other. Yeah. And I, appreci I appreciate it, you know, and I appreciate your wise comments there and uh, always very mediating, always very uh, on the side of wisdom, you know, not like going to an extreme in the middle, uh, as I say, you know. So Alan Watts is a great influence for people to unroot them from any any structure, you know. I mean, you could be a Jehovah Witness, you could be, uh, you know, any specific religion, whatever, and maybe it's too narrow, whatever, listening to Alan Watts or reading Alan Watts' books will unroot you. <laughs> But in my opinion, it's very important also to distance yourself if you are saturated with him because otherwise it becomes like a, a totem, you know. You become a totem worshiper, you know, because people, they repeat his verses and his poetry to the maximum, you know. And I don't see any more much wisdom from that, except from memory, you know. They imagine they're enlightened and whatever. I don't I don't see the genuine, the genuine thing in this. Right. Uh, but he's very good. He's very good. Sorry? It's like, well, most people get caught up and, um, yeah, attached to being kind of a, a follower of the 
the person and not really the idea or, yeah. you know, you- they get caught up mm-hmm. in the idea and they lose, you know, they get stuck in that box where that's where they're kind of, they, they trap themselves. in. So that is so yeah. true. Yeah. It is his enlightenment. It's not yours, you know, and uh, you have right. to find your own way, you know, and, it is just very interesting. I've, I've seen this many times with people that they get not just with Alan Watts, but all kinds of uh, authors, you know, just like with modern gurus. Uh, and it happens with uh, ancient uh, sages also. You know, you can always just get trapped into their thought world. It's nice to study it. It's nice to, to gain wisdom from it. But ultimately, you know, that's where meditation comes in and self-awareness. It's about, it's about you know, what, what is my takeaway from it? Who am I, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know? And so, but, you know, interesting with Alan Watts, I have studied, studied him a long time. Uh, but I, I distanced myself a little bit. Now I go back again. I have this master's degree in world religions, and I... And I, I liked certain books there, like uh, Houston Smith, The World's Religions. is is a great author and um, very wise person. He wrote this compassionate book about world religions. There is all religions in there, you know. And it's right. not like you're going from the Judeo-Christian uh, Islamic tradition and opposed. Now you go to the Eastern world of spirituality and then you look down at the other, the Western traditions and stuff like this. It's like he really uh, sees the good things and everything, just like Joseph Campbell also, right? And uh, But I'm going back rather again to the root, you know, like uh, the life of uh, Lao Tzu, uh, his teaching, the Buddha, you know, and Hinduism, the Upanishads, really like, the, like I used to when I was very young already, and then I started it. And uh, so, because we have the same interest in in this kind of uh, uh, Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung and Ellen Watts, that's why I mentioned it. Yeah, um, it, it's uh, fascinating to consider the source of knowledge and um, where all all these religions spring from, and uh, you know, it leads to a deeper understanding of oneself. You know, you you want to you want to know where we came from and we want to know what life's all about. And, uh. Yeah. I started out very early with reading Lao Tzu. I do, didn't understand the word. I was in my yeah. teenage years. And then the Upanishads, I read just before I went to India for two years. I was 22 coming back from South America where I traveled for a year. And there again, you know, I didn't understand much, but I had some spiritual experiences with it. The Upanishads are very deep, you know, very deep mm-hmm. scripture. And it made me go to India. And then I studied the world religions because I wanted to clarify more. And that's where all these people come in. Like, uh, you know, we talked about these authors, these poets, entertainers, spiritual entertainers, uh, like Ellen Watts, you know, or mythologists, a mythologist, uh, Joseph Campbell, and Carl Jung, a psychologist, where when you study them, you just get more clarifications and you go back again to understand the scriptures, which they also studied, really. You know, it comes out, you know, they all, I mean, there are so many philosophers and uh, Ellen Watts and uh, Joseph Campbell, of course, and Carl Jung, uh, Schopenhauer, you can go into so many philosophies uh, in the Western world and you will find out they were studying, you know, these ancient uh, traditions like Confucianism, you know, Taoism, Mm -hmm. particularly the Upanishads. I don't know since when this book was around, I think 19th century, 18th century. It was already in Europe. I don't know how it came here, but, uh, you know, several 
philosophers studied it. Well, the trio of those uh, of those authors, Joseph Campbell, Carl Jung, Alan Watts, is, is a fabulous trio to get to the root of good and evil and the like. So what do you find so fascinating studying these great thinkers and influences, including modern gurus? You like very much, I noticed from our conversations, you like very much uh, a variety of uh, gurus. Uh, Krishnamurti, one of them. I guess the uh, intelligence behind it and the what I found to be relative and how how they connected um, was very intriguing. The idea of the shadow. I, I studied psychology for a few years in high school, and it really kind of opened my mind up to the uh, polarity of the left and right brain and the thinking of the yin-yang you know, and the, the black and the white, the light and the dark, the, you know, it, it I, I started breaking it down. I, the shadow by Carl Jung, the shadow. Yeah. Uh, he's yeah. very famous for it. And how do you relate this to yourself? This teaching about the shadow by Carl Jung, this mm -hmm. polarity. It's interesting. Yin and Yang actually means the shadow side and the sunny side of the mountain. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so it's our shadow side. It is our. It is nothing bad. It's just like not there, always conscious, but it does. Yeah, I'd say that's part of the myth, you know, that every uh, conscious person goes through. I guess um, is going through a, an experience that is life changing and uh, quite a challenge, and breaking through to the other side to where you know. Um, where you can look back and reflect and recognize that you know, nobody's perfect. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, kind of like an awakening, I guess, um, to be able to know that there's a new day, uh, you know, it, it could change any time and you don't have to be um, stuck in that shadow that there's, there's light on the other side. Do it. You know, to me, uh, all all these people they've been in, inspiring, and even that word "inspiring" to me, you know, to me it's like they're they're a spirit, kind of. There's there's something inside of them that lights me up, there's, and there's magic in that. I think there's there's something special, there's something mysterious. And I think that's also kind of part of the the myth of of consciousness, even you know that like, like where does it come from? How do, how does you know? Are we just receivers, or are we we tra we transmitting consciousness? It's it's very fascinating, you know. The more in depth I I consider their teachings, and it it is like a mindful meditation almost to to study them and. And contemplate, you know, what what are they saying exactly? And it's always good to, <laughs> whenever I, I feel challenged, um, I usually go back to to their teachings and it kind of, you know, clarifies me up a little bit. <laughs> yes, and you say you get uh, lightened up uh, reading those things about this phenomenon. Yeah. How, do you, I, how would you define enlightenment? I mean... How would you uh, awakening? How would you see it in your daily life? How does it come up? 
That's a good question. I'd say it's kind of the awareness in the moment, um, being present and uh, realizing just the clouds passing by, you know, or, you know, just uh, it's kind of uh, statory, you know, I, I look at it like it's, it, it's just a moment and it's brief and it just happens. <laughs> and I, I don't know. It's, um, that's a very good question. Well, it's, it's uh, you know, we all go through this uh, to some degree. I see it often also as, um, you know, when you are relating with other people, you see through them and you don't mind, but you see through them. You see sometimes, you know, people want to manipulate you or they want to just give you their uh, negativity in order they can get rid of it and you get it and then they feel better and you see through it. It's like, you know, it's, this is not exactly Satori, but it has all kind of uh, effects and it's a process, you know, like everything in our life. It's never a concept. The ego conditioning is uh, our society really tends to pressure us to have a facade, you know, and um, be a different person out outside in the world and who who we are maybe you know when we're alone and it yeah it may it creates a division a split within within people and i think being honest and true to true to yourself you know i think that's the the toughest practice i think for you know for people is to be honest with themselves and to not lie to themselves and i i feel like that's where um, healing comes in and shamanism and stuff like that. It's uh, finding out for yourself, you know, it's a, a it's a self healing, really. Nobody can do yeah, it for you. You have yeah. your own field of reference and you also your own space time event. I mean, ultimately, right. you know, we grew up in a certain space and in a certain time. And that's why we're all different, even though I think essentially we're the same. But uh, all these experiences make us different. And that's the roles also we play in life. We have many roles. And to identify with those roles is where it's something unenlightened, you know. I mean, we have so many roles, yet it is like the Hindus say, it's a beautiful metaphor. It is like the relationship between the, the Chivas and Brahman, the small, the self with the small letter S and the self with the big letter S. You have all these uh, um, chess figures when you play chess, right? Yeah. There's the player. There's the player. And the player moves the bishop. He moves the horse. He moves the queen, whatever, right? He moves all those players. And the Hindus have this metaphor that you're not basically the, the, the figures of the chess game. You are the player. It yeah. doesn't matter if you lose or win. The player... Is always learning from it and it becomes more skilled in it and it becomes more, you know, he learns um, the processes of life, you know, how to deal with it. Yeah, I think it's good to uh, just have a, a, a more distant view of it and see your roles in life as something you learn from and you can use them. And there's nothing wrong with playing your roles because, you know, as we know, both uh, from Hinduism, life is a, is a cosmic play. It's a cosmic game. It's... Uh, Indra's net, like you say, the net. The that is actually more. That's Indra's Lord Indra's net is actually used in Hinduism and Buddhism. It's more like a description, a simile, a simile 
a metaphor of the reality we are living in. Everything is reflecting everything else. It's like one jewel, like one big jewel, and that one big jewel is cons consists of trillions of jewels, which is you and me, and we all reflect the whole thing. It's uh, this fourth Dharma world where you say that uh, um, it's all interdependently co-originating and mutually penetrating this world. So, you know, like chaos theory, right? A butterfly dies in China and the whole cosmos is somehow affected by it. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that's just an extreme example. What, what, what are some other modern gurus which you like to study and listen? Mm. Krishnamurti. I, uh, Don Miguel Ruiz. Mm -hmm. He's, uh, I like him a lot. Um, as a modern writer, he's written uh, The Four Agreements. Dr. David Hawkins, uh, I like him. He's kind of different. Um, I like Ram Dass. And, uh, Ram Dass, I like, yeah. yeah. I like Wayne Dyer. You like all of them, actually, as, as far as I know. <laughs> yeah. It's hard for me not to, um, Eldis Huxley was an early inspiration. Krishnamurti, though, for me lately has been, uh, he's kind of like the Yoda of Star Wars. He's, uh, he always gets, gets me thinking and really centering myself back into the moment. And that's, <clears throat> that's a wisdom that I, uh, I don't even, <laughs> it's hard to even comprehend how eloquent he is when, when he speaks and, you know, it's yeah. just so on. I like uh, Nisargadatta, also you know him. Maharaj Nisargadatta. I don't, I don't uh, he's know. He's from that meditation, meditation, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, it's like the who, uh, the I am, the I am philosophy, which is huge in India. I mean, there are basically, I think, five or six major types of meditation. Two of them are Hindu. One of them is that I am meditation, the self-inquiry. That's where he comes from, and a lot of others. Actually, Alan was they're all about they're all about this I am thing, uh, who yeah. I am, you know, the real am, the real I. And then there's the mantra meditation. Then it goes to the Buddhist meditations like the Vipassana, Metta, and uh, Sazen and uh, mindfulness. Right? These are the major ones because the Christian, the Judeo-Christian Islamic traditions, they have more contemplation. It's more contemplating scripture. Anyway, uh, I think uh, Ram Das is a fantastic story. I really like to listen. Uh, one time, uh, YouTube, uh, see a YouTube video and listen to his life. Uh, fantastic. I mean, really, it's extraordinary. Mm -hmm. His life is extraordinary. And I was also two years in India, so I could identify with it. But he started out as this Harvard uh, professor, right? And then he, they tried first time this LSD, and then he sits on a sofa, um, and suddenly he looks from above, to the sofa and yeah. he sees only the sofa but he's gone right <laughs> this is incredible right? amazing. yeah forerunner so, yeah. psychedelic experience yeah but the, the the major story i love the most is when he comes back from india and uh he got he went several times to india and he was always taking a lot of this uh, lsd you know same like like ellen watts you know and others um and uh, he comes back and he really, you know, you know, the, the, the conception of God in India and the conception of the God in the Judeo-Christian tradition is almost uncomparable. You cannot compare it because when you, when you talk about God in India, Hinduism, 
eat Brahman. It's just very, it's a different cosmology. It's a different mythology, right? Anyway, from that point of view, he came back to our culture and he literally, that's what he said, you know, for a while he was teaching, he was actually giving lectures and he, he was really dressed also. He was convinced he was God. You know, he yeah. was God. And then he, <laughs> the funny thing is this, you know, he, he he got sick of it because, you know, then suddenly he had another lecture, sit down, you know, he sits down at the podium and he talks very casually with the people, very humble. And he says, and he explains that what happened to him. And he says it was just too much for him. Everything he said had to pre had to be premeditated, you know, because he was God. You know? <laughs> that's what's so funny. Particularly because he was so honest afterwards and he, you know, he explained all things, you know. And now he talks about the soul. Uh, no, he's dead now, but you know, he has been talking about the soul, uh, like a Christian concept actually, uh, which we would say, you know, is the self. Um, that uh, unity with Brahman, the self, and God, that is, you can understand it, but, you know, it's, uh, you can understand yeah. that unity. You can understand that you're coming from this, you could identify with it, and that you're still not, like, you know, you're never that God, which uh, we think, you know, in the, in the Western world, forget about it, because even that that God for many is uh, devotional, like in India, uh, you know, Bhakti Yoga, you know, when you love Jesus like God and all this is just the same, like in India in many ways. However, it is uh, also a very different tradition when you're from the Old Testament, you know, there's this angry God. And uh, yeah. who knows where that one comes from. Uh, but we know that the whole thing also starts out with a mythology. And that's what the nice thing is with Joseph Campbell, you know, the Garden of Eden. And that's where already T.T. Suzuki, a Zen master, you know, teaching in America, he said, you know, in his opening speech, he said, funny culture you have, you know, uh, because he read the story of, of of Garden of Eden. He said, you know, funny culture you have, you know, uh, God is against man. Man is against God. Woman is against man. Man is against woman. Man is against nature, you know, it's like everything is yeah. against, 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 you know. And he, from a Buddhist, you know, Shintoist uh, tradition, Confucianist, Taoist tradition, actually, over there is all coming together. Um, this is strange for them because they see everything interconnected. They see everything is, they see the nothingness is not there on once, is not there as a reality. It's a side of a coin. Nothingness is nothing to be feared because it always comes with somethingness. It's like, and, and you know, when you yourself feel so connected with everything and you could go out and say, I'm the king of the universe, and that's basically everybody can say that because we are probably a trillion ways the universe sees itself. At the, at the, other, at the other perspective, you are also nothing without everything. You're nothing without your parents. You're nothing without the trees, the sun, the mountains. You're nothing, you know? Right. Anyway. Um, there, there's no reality without the illusion. And... Uh, it's uh, like uh, Ram Dass said, you know, look at everybody you see as God in drag, um, you know, and I think that's, I think we, a lot of people, we confuse the, the little, the, the, the small self with the higher self. And we, we mix that up and people take it for granted. Um, that's a part of like, identification with what yeah. you identify, right? There is no, uh, the Maya, the delusion also illusion in a sense. Illusion is the good thing, right? It's it's nice to have an illusion. That's why we watch a movie, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's why, you know, we love some, we like it so much, you know, when things happen to us and happen to us in life. And 
they're not always real, but we love it anyway, you know. <laughs> but yeah. then there's the delusion. The delusion they can get you a little bit to despair, but it's ultimately it's a it's within reality, and there is no enlightenment without it. And so there is no enlightenment per, per se, because it always depends, for me at least, as I interpret it that way, uh, connected with illusion. And the Hindus have this metaphor: if you see, uh, like in the in the in the forest, and you see uh, a stick there, a long stick, right? And that would be the reality, right? But when you see it as a snake, and you say it's a snake, there's a snake. That's a delusion, or that's the illusion, whatever, right? And then you realize that's the awakening, that's the enlightenment. Ah, it's a, it's it's a branch of a tree, right? So it's like it, it's a duality. I think the duality never goes away. I mean, it doesn't matter. People get so polarized about this duality, but emptiness, shonyata, uh, you know, it, it contains all of these polarities. I don't have to go out far out there um, to become polarized. But if I stay in the middle then it's a beautiful place to be in the middle mm. of the polarities. And even good and evil, everything becomes like, you know, the Ramakrishna, the mystery of evil, you know, Ramakrishna was one of the main sages in India. And what he says is, you know, I'm quoting, you know, you may ask, how then can we arrive at any explanation of naturally caused misery, human viciousness, pervasive unhappiness? The answer is that, that these forms of suffering, which one sincerely struggles to overcome, are, experience, are experienced by individual awareness, but not by the very principle of awareness, which remains ever free, ever blissful. And now comes the thing, you know. He says there is venom, a poison, so to speak, right? Venom. Now, not you can venom. I don't know how you say it, but uh, venom yeah, is yeah. A, Latin, a, Latin, a Latin word, right? Venom. In the snake, there is venom in the snake that may cause others to die or which may be used as a healing medicine. But this substance is neither poison nor medicine to the snake. So that's mm. from Ramakrishna, uh, Novak, Philip Novak in the World's Wisdom, page 41. Yeah, when it comes to the idea of like uh, no self kind of and kind of being a, not the witness, but just the witnessing. Uh, of uh you know you don't you're not attached to what what is happening you know you're you're there w with it kind of like how ramdas had his experience um but you're also not there <laughs> and uh it's kind of like yeah like watching a movie or reading a story you're the narrator and you're also the the main character <laughs> Yeah, what you touch is basically also uh, from, like in the Mundaka Upanishad. I have this readily available because it's on my website. I like to uh, to gather the best quotes I ever find there, on by the beach, and that's from the Mundaka Upanishad. And this is uh. called two, two Sweet Friends, Individual Soul and Universal Spirit. And that's from Hinduism, the Upanishad, Mundaka Upanishads. And it's a very short quote also. And it says, there are two birds, two sweet friends, who dwell on the self-same tree. The one eats the fruits thereof, and the other looks on in silence. The first is the human soul who, resting on that tree, though active, feels sad in his unwisdom. But 
on beholding the power and glory of the higher spirit, Atman, he becomes free from sorrow. But that was exactly, that's it's about that topic you just mentioned. Uh, we are observing ourselves and we are there, but that's the two birds, you know, and yeah. uh, like met metaphysically, uh, uh, metaphorically, not speaking, right? And that's what Ram Das Paul experienced, one of those birds, the first time when he took LSD and he looks down at the sofa and suddenly he is gone, you know. Mm -hmm. I think right. the sofa was the sofa is also gone afterwards. That's what he said. <laughs> 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 and he says it so fun in a, such a funny way, you know. It's uh, amazing just like yeah. how the philosophies they correlate with science and physics and matter, you know, and that's that's one thing that Alan Watts always, you know, he talked about Maya and matter and how they, how it correlates. And um, yes, the Dalai Lama, I think the Dalai Lama says, says something about how science is catching up to to Buddhism. That That's what I observe also, yeah. Yeah. You know, matter from the root is, uh, is you know, from the Latin root. I know it now from Alan Watts and also from Houston Smith. And both have a little bit different view on this, but it's the same in a sense also. Just Ellen Watts says matter is actually the, you know, comes from the root word, Maya. Mm. You know, magic too. And yeah. uh, if you look at Maya, you know, when we see everything around us so physical and real, and then modern physics tells us, you know, this is all empty stuff. This is quantum physics, you know, whatever is all energy just, right? But that's very close to this, right? And then Houston Smith um uh, uh, says that uh, the word mother comes also from matter, mm. uh, from, from Maya. Maya and ma mother is related. So, you know, we go to Joseph Campbell, mother goddess, or or the Tao Te Ching, you know, right. uh, everything comes from the void and then out of nothing, the void, from the mother comes the 10,000 things. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's uh, again mother and not father. <laughs> Whereas here yeah. in our in our culture, it's all about father. It's all about the patriarch, the patriarchal right. system, you know. And uh, yeah, it's it's a weird story, the whole thing here. But uh, Joseph Campbell is a nice interpretation always, and I like it because I can't befriend myself with this with this mythology of the Garden of Eden, yeah. Hmm. Which is a weird one, if you ask me. If you know, if you ask me, that. Uh, you know, some so it kind of reminds me of uh, the Ouroboros and time and how the snake is eating its own tail. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's like he doesn't even know he's eating his own tail and it just, and he just keeps going on and on and on. It, it's almost like uh, the, the, the shadow side of us that is unaware or ignorant or aren't paying attention, you know, and there's always going to be something, you know, that, Nobody can <laughs> focus on everything 100% of the time. Or, you know, like Alan Watts said, it'd be like a, a piano keys crashing all at once, total chaos. And I think that's where a lot of trauma comes in for people, you know, um, going out of insanity, kind of, you know. I think that's, um, it gets too much for a lot of people. They take They take a lot of stuff in and they don't let it out. It has also to do with uh, our linguistic department, you know. Our linguistic department is part of us. And, uh, you know, who we really are, it cannot be described by 
a word because the word is something we learn from society. It's a speech, it's a language. And mm. uh, it's it's wonderful that we have it, really. And, of course, because now we can communicate with it and we can also work on our, sp our blind spots because even if you're talking to me, you're talking and you realize things about yourself, right? And the same with me talking to you. At the same time, when people just consume uh, all kinds of philosophies and uh, even Western tradition, and their language is just a map of the territory. It is not the territory. It's not. And then when they get this point, like particularly in Zen Buddhism, right? I mean, Ellen Watts says this incredible example one time on his audio, and many people talk about this, uh, you know, when he says, you know, like a sound, right? A sound is not a sound. A sound is just like, you know, that's a sound. You, it's not It's not the word, right? It's the sound. And so in Zen Buddhism, it's, it's very, very liberating when you get that point to that at that stage. It's not the final stage, of course. And then I think even beyond Zen, uh, you can leave Zen also altogether. I think you, you don't have to think of Zen the rest of your life only mm -hmm. because you're interested in Zen, right? I mean, but the point is that uh, we, we are fixated and we are caught in a in a web of thoughts. We are in it and we believe that the thoughts are us and we identify with the thoughts without realizing that thoughts are not us. They're just actually coming and going. We use them with an empty mind. They are useful if they help us. They are not useful if they are not for us, if they are against us. Yeah. That is that inner, inner voice, that critique, you know. Uh, when you cannot shut that up and turn it into something positive, then uh, you are caught in that net and you realize, you don't realize that you are identifying with thoughts, with words, which isn't, has nothing to do with you. In fact, you know, when we grow up as children, that's the first thing, you know, we learn about our name and, you know, they say to you, Ryan, and you just ignore it. You're very small, very childlike, you know. And then after a year, they say, Ryan, they say, so often Ryan to you. And suddenly you look at it and say, you point the finger at yourself and you say, Ryan, and you got it. You are Ryan, right? <laughs> so now you identify with it, right? But at the same time, these people who are getting so caught up in this polarities and in those wild thoughts often of, of philosophers who took a lot of LSD, you know. I mean, honestly, yeah. you know, the uh, Ellen Watts, you know, even you know, a lot of whiskey, you know, every day. And uh, I don't know, they are not necessarily the best models for uh, for you, you know. They are for a certain stage, they are good for you, excellent. But, you know, if you continue, you will always find excuses to uh, to live an addictive uh, style of, of life. And uh, same thing with Ram Das in a sense. Of course, he was not, uh, you know, at the end of his life, he had this heart attack and then he was, you know, partially... Uh, paralyzed, uh, but you know it's it's just part of our life. I mean, LSD is certainly a great a great thing for Westerners to open up to another reality. It's like you know that second bird I said, you know, in Hinduism, mm -hmm. that second second bird which just watches everything and is not eating from the tree and is not uh, living in the world and suffering and sorrow and all this. That comes suddenly up, suddenly, you know. And then you say, "Wow, yeah. that's also me. That's that's the real me. Wow, you know." So it's a good. It, everything is good at a certain stage, and then it goes by. Like you know, as, as we said, Zen Buddhism also. I mean, it's like an antivirus program for me. Zen, you know, once you install it and you run it several times and you feel free, you don't have to. You don't have to go back to this anymore necessarily all the time. You know, uh, yeah. I like the sand story. I like the sand stories and the coins and all this, but I don't have to be all my life 
uh, meditating in zazen in a temple uh, in a robe. Uh, same mm. as Tibetan Buddhism. I, I just don't, uh, or Hinduism, or anything. You know, I just I'm out of this. Uh, you also. That's what. That's where we have this, where we have this great friendship also, uh, since many years now already. You know, and it's more like a, you know, like a conversation and not an interview because we know each other so well, and it's nice to just chat. You know, it doesn't have. To well, it's been uh, the most stimulating conversation I've had in months. So I appreciate. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's very nice. I, yeah. I uh, reminds me of fractals a little bit. Uh, yes. I don't know if you're, yeah, you know, you, yes, yeah. it's like the thought just keeps on producing itself. And um, that's, we can get caught up in, and that's, yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> a terrible habit that, you know, Alan Watts puts it like, uh, you know, once you get the message, you hang up the phone and, and, <laughs> Sometimes, you know, it takes a couple of times that, you know, you get the message, you hang up the phone, you get the message again, and you got to hang up the phone, you know, and yeah, we go through these levels and stages. And I feel like I'm on like the fourth stage of my life, I guess. I don't know why I go to, I think it maybe because I'm getting close to 40, but it's uh, an involvement, you know, it's like the, the flowers blooming outside, you know, they, they come and they go and it's a fascinating experience you know, to witness the seasons change and it's magical. Yeah. It's even though, you know, it is what it is, you know, and yes, happened, what, you know? yeah, you, you are a poet of haiku. Haiku is a Japanese uh, kind of poetry. And uh, yeah. can you tell me more about haiku? And then I would like to know about your art. That would be perfect. All right. Well, um, Haiku. Well, it's the the syllables of five, seven, and five, as far as I know. Three, basically three lines. First line is five syllables, and then second line is seven, and then the third line is five again. Uh, Basho, I don't know if yeah, you're familiar. Yes. Um, I like him a whole lot. I don't know. I I will think of a quote or something along the lines of a name or something like that, and. I like numerology, and so I I listen to the sounds of things, you know, and how, how they approach my ear and how it relates to maybe the feeling at the time that I'm having. And sometimes it'll take me months maybe to complete a haiku. Um, I think I probably still have some that, that are incomplete. The start I started and I've moved on and... Um, they're kind of like a Zen, you know, it's, they're, they're brief, but they mm -hmm. also can weigh a lot. You know, they, 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 have, a, they have a point which is yeah. not easy to get, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Kind of like a Cohen. <laughs> kind of like a Cohen. You have one handy, one you wrote. All right. Well, this is a silly one. That's good. Just an example. <laughs> All right. So it goes, I tend to keep time as a keyboard typewriter, never leaving space. <laughs> uh, that's something I wrote the other day. I got the point actually, nice. Yeah, it's all, it's all one, I guess, you know, like the keyboard to the computer um, doesn't have any, any room for air. It's, It all just works together and 
you know, years in the clock, kind of. And it's relative. Um, yeah. As they say, you know, in, in Tibetan Buddhism, absolute relativism. Right. It's, yeah. uh, you know, like time. If you think about time, you know, it's absolute relative. The past, the past and the present is relative absolutely to the moment, to the now. Right. And you can say, you know, you can, the relativity you see when you say it, when you see it in five minutes or 10 minutes or a day or a week, the time, it always relates to the now. And space is the same. And I think that that poetry has that kind of sense in it. The relativity of space and you relate it to time. The relativity of time. And how about your your art? What is it about? Unfortunately, we cannot see it, but... Uh, I use a lot of different mediums. I The past couple of years, I've gotten more into using recycled materials and natural found objects to kind of make like 3D sculpture kind of kind of things, I guess. I don't know how mm -hmm. to put it. Um, but I'm all, I'm all over. I, uh, I get old toys, junk toys, you know, that kids don't play uh -huh. with anymore, and I'll try to repurpose them and okay. create my own kind of character out of it. But I am all over. I, I, I do photography, watercolor, mixed collage. I do a lot of... Uh, cutouts of things and put pieces mm -hmm. together like a puzzle and keeps my keeps my brain active <laughs> cool you know ryan i think we we come to a conclusion of the of the episode it is uh has a good time to bring it to a conclusion i really thank you very much and if you agree then i will just wrap it up yeah i agree yeah thank you for your time can yeah, we can talk some more afterwards. <laughs> but I think the interview has, has a nice content. And so, if you agree, I, I will now wrap All up. right. So, uh, thank you, Ryan, for having been on the show. It was a real pleasure and learning experience. And thank you, listeners, for listening in. Thank yes, you, I'm honored. Well, thank you. Well, I'm also very happy that I finally met you. Now, uh, in person on, on Zoom <laughs> for the interview. Yeah. We know each other for a long time. I think three years. At least yeah. I, I noticed you already that long. And mm -hmm. then we are longtime friends on Facebook. Uh, the recap of the show with bullet points are in the show notes with all the links mentioned during the interview on ownbythebeach.com. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to have you here again for our next episode. This is your host, Joseph Schinwald. Thank you and goodbye until we meet again.